0: Tonight, we're going to be in John 5. It's jam-packed. And we, 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 we don't want to just uh, fly over it. We, we want to get the, uh, all the vitamins that are here, all the antioxidants. We want to get all the nutrition that's in this passage. But, be, but before we dive into to John 5... Um, Verses 16, 17. And in all honesty, I'm going to try to get to 24, I think. Before we we dive in and before we zoom in, what I want to do is I want to zoom out. And it's been a couple of months as we've been in this. But in the opening section of John 5, he has healed a man who has been paralyzed for 38 years. And you would think everybody would be rejoicing and everyone would be thrilled and everyone would be happy. And certainly the man who was healed was thrilled and happy and pleased. But there was a group of religious bureaucrats called the Pharisees. And there was another group that were kind of their opposite called the Sadducees. And these guys didn't get along and they were like two political parties But the Pharisees were the, um, they were all about the law. And actually, not necessarily, they, they said they were followers of Moses, the Old Testament law. But what they had done was that they had added additional regulations to the law of God that God did not have in the Old Testament. And they loved those bureaucratic regulations. These guys are all a bunch of little Fauci's. And they just loved, they just loved to come up with rules. And they just loved the power. And they loved the press conferences. And they loved the attention. And they were the elite. And they were above it all. And they'd make rules for everybody else, but it didn't apply to them. They were not the hoi polloi. They were not the people. They were above it all. Jesus was ruthless with these guys. He absolutely was ruthless. He took them on. He hung them out to dry. He confronted them. He humiliated them. He knew their hearts. I mean, he was combative. And the reason he was so combative is that they were evil. They were of their father, the devil. So, what happens in John 5 is that... They got very upset with Jesus because he had healed this man and he had healed him on the Sabbath. Well, what's wrong with that? Well, they'd come up with some bureaucratic law from the CDC or the CPC, the Central Pharisaical Committee, whatever it was, you know, just random. Some guy, bureaucrat, big pension, uh, no accountability, no accountability just came up with what he wanted to come up with. Just love the power. So we'll pick it up here. Just, just to kind of roll into the context. We'll read a little bit. And then I'm going to zoom out. And then we'll come back and zoom in. Okay? So what happens in verse 10... The Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is a Sabbath, it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. Is that in the Old Testament? No, no, that's some bureaucrat. It would take a bureaucrat to come up with something like that. He answered to them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus just picked this guy out of the crowd and healed him. He literally did not know who Jesus was. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you become well. Don't sin anymore, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Obviously, there was some sin he committed that the sickness was attached to. Now, when we're sick, it's not always because there was sin, but that can happen. And if you're sick because of sin, the Holy Spirit will let you know what the sin is. It's not revealed to us. Jesus knew about it, the guy knew about it, but it's not disclosed to us. First Corinthians 11, they were abusing the Lord's table. You know, we have communion periodically. Well, they would have a feast, and they would take the bread. Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. Uh, the wine, the cup, the grape juice. Uh, This is the blood of the new covenant, which was shed for you. Uh, Jesus told them to do this in remembrance of me. And in the Corinthian church, they would have a love feast. It would be a banquet. And what would happen is, uh, you can look it up for yourself. Some of them, I mean, they just, it was just an open bar and they just started getting schnauzered. And, they weren't worshiping the Lord. They weren't remembering the Lord. And because they were blaspheming the Lord's table, it says, Paul says, some of you are sick and some of you even sleep. Some of you have even died. Now, that's not always the case with sickness. It's not because of sin. It's just sickness. Now, God's sovereign over sickness. Is He's sovereign over health? But in this case, the man's sickness was associated with A particular sin. That's why Jesus says to him, You become well, don't sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now, watch this. Here's where it gets interesting. For this reason, for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath, he was busting up their bureaucracy. And they didn't like it. But he answered them and said, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. Now, we'll come back to that in a minute, but basically, what he's saying is uh, by that statement, he is claiming to be God. Because you see, God is not subject to the Sabbath, God made the Sabbath. And it's okay for his father to be working and it's okay for him to be working because he's the son of God and the same essence of God. They understand completely what he was saying and you can see it in the next verse, verse 18. For this reason, because of what he just said, therefore the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath but also calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So we'll zoom into this in a minute, five essential claims that Jesus is God, that he makes. But before we do that, I want to zoom out. So uh, let me try to give you some clarity with an outline. We're gonna be in John five, but I want to zoom out of of John five and get to the whole word of God. There are essential Christian truths that comprise and make up Christianity. Without those truths, you don't have Christianity. Without those truths, you have an aberration. Without those truths, you have a counterfeit. Without those truths, you have a cult. So that's the first thing we'll look at, essential Christian truths. Secondly, going beyond essential truths makes one a progressive there are a group of Christians who identify themselves as progressive Christians. They used to be called liberals, but now the term is progressive. We'll define that in a little bit. Then third, we're gonna zoom back into John five and see the five essential claims from Jesus that he is God. Fourthly, we're going to look at some essential beliefs of Mormonism. Now, why would we do that? When we started this study back in the fall, early on, I mentioned that several guys had asked me if I had seen the, the series The Chosen. I uh, said I hadn't. So we watched it and have enjoyed it very much. And uh, it's, it's been funded by people, you know, who, who want to get the gospel message out. And I think, I think they call it crowdfunding, well, you, you know. It's raised more money than any other project in the history of that. Over the break, I came across some stuff that started to concern me about the chosen. And what started to concern me were, were the ties within the leadership of the chosen to Mormonism. Um. Dallas Jenkins is the producer and kind of the the guy who came up with the whole idea. Grew up in an evangelical Christian home, went to an evangelical Christian college. And I've watched some interviews with him where he was actually being interviewed by the director, the guy who's the primary director of the show, who is a Mormon. And there are clips of Dallas Jenkins saying that I have learned and I'm coming to realize that, and this is, this is different than I was taught growing up, that biblical Christians and Mormons, we believe in the same Jesus. And I was stunned. I was stunned. This, this guy with, with his roots, this guy with the family that he was raised in, the, this guy with the college, the Christian college, uh, historically very solid. Billy Graham was president of that college in the early 50s in Minneapolis. And to say I'm coming to realize that evangelical Christians and Mormons, we believe in the same Jesus Nothing could be further from the truth. Let's talk about some essential Christian truths. And then we'll get deeper into the text in John 5. So if you're familiar with R.C. Sproul, who went to be with the Lord not too long ago, his ministry called Ligonier, because it started in the Ligonier Valley of Pennsylvania, now in Orlando, uh, they put out this year... I get a lot of books on cults. It's one of the best ones I've ever seen. Right now, it's the best, because it's concise. It's uh, to the point. It's real clear. It's called A Field Guide on False Teaching. You know, you can go to Orvis and get a field guide, you know, for hunting ducks or something. This is uh, I, I, it's very creative, A Field Guide on False Teaching. And it's, um, I like the layout because in the table of contents, Roman numeral one is false teaching and the very first thing out of the blocks they hit is the prosperity gospel. Which is, (laughs) it's all over. If you watch TVN, if you watch Daystar, about 90% of what they do is prosperity gospel, which is a false gospel. Some of the biggest churches in Dallas are prosperity gospel churches that teach a false gospel. And then from there, they go to deism. Many of the founding fathers were deists. God was the creator. He was the great watchmaker. He was the great clockmaker. He wound up the clock and he leaves it alone. Completely denies the providence of God and that God's in the details of life. And then they go to legalism and antinomianism, lawlessness, which is real big today. And so is legalism. You got both schools. And then they go to the cults, Mormonism, Christian science, Jehovah's Witnesses, down to Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, New Age spirituality, atheism, and secularism. It's real concise, real tight. Um, they have an opening section, the Essential Christian Truths and it's just an overview it's it's very well written a summary of what the word of god says about the essential truths of christianity the first one is revelation the first one is not the book of revelation but that god has revealed himself let me just read you a couple snippets here theologians refer to god's revelation of himself in creation and the human conscience as general revelation and to his revelation in scripture is special revelation. So, Psalm 19 says, when you go outside at night, it says the heavens are telling of the glory of God. You see the stars, you see the big dip. What's going on there? The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Their voice is not heard, but it's nature, it's special revelation. You know that someone put that together, it's fixed. If you're lost, you can navigate. If someone has taught you to navigate, identify certain stars, you can get your way out of the wilderness if you can find a North Star. Because certain things are fixed. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power, including the stars, including gravity, including mathematics, including physics, including science. He invented it all. When you're talking about creation, you're talking about general revelation. But he also has revelation in scripture that we call special revelation. General revelation discloses God's eternal power and divine nature, as well as his basic moral law for humanity. Special revelation, the Bible, gives God's fuller revelation of his character, his plan of salvation for mankind, and his instruction for, pleasing lives, for living lives that please him. The Old and New Testaments are full and final. It's very important. Special revelation of God, with the sixty-six books of the Bible, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Peter one three. The Scriptures are infallible and inerrant; they can be trusted. It's the Word of Christ. And all kinds of people over the centuries—you can't trust the Bible. The hubris of men. The hubris of men to think they know things that they know nothing about. Now they can can study science and you can learn a lot. But as we said a few weeks ago, there's a difference between science and scientism. What we have got going on around the world right now is not science, you got scientism, and scientism is absolutely devoted to the removal of the supernatural from what they study. That's called idolatry. So you have revelation, you have the Bible. And he closes that section by saying this. There is no other special revelation from God after the close of the canon of Scripture. After God put the 66 books together, there's no more revelation. It's it. In fact, at the end of Revelation, there is, uh, you're in trouble if you add to or you take away. And that would not only be the book of Revelation, it would be the whole thing. Because this is God's word. The sum of thy word is truth, Psalm 119 says. So no further revelation. That's very important. Then uh, here's another essential truth. You have God. The starting place of all truth is the Holy God himself. When we look in the scripture, we discover that the one and true living God is infinite. First Kings eight twenty-seven. He is eternal, Psalm 90 verse one. He's unchangeable, Malachi 3, 6. In all his divine perfections, those things are true. Exodus 34, 6, within the one Godhead, there subsist three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, this will stretch your bandwidth. That's what Scripture reveals. Do we understand that fully, completely? No. But we have enough of the facts that those are the facts. These three persons are the one and true living God. Yeah. These three persons are the one and true living God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are the same in substance and equal in power and glory. God is the Holy Trinity. Then you've got man. What happened to man? Created in a perfect environment. He sinned in the garden. There was a great fall. Death came into the world. Um... Let's get to Christ. These are essentials of the, what the whole Bible teaches us. This is, this is zooming out and getting the big picture. Okay? Then you have Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God and second person of the Trinity became incarnate in the fullness of time adding a human nature to himself and thus uniting himself to our humanity. Let me just stop right there and read this quote from uh, Kevin DeYoung. Pastor out of Charlotte, great thinker. He, He says, the danger in closely following the news and frequently commenting on the news is that we start to believe that the headlines give us the most important information. That's absolutely true. He says, the only truly way, the only truly Christian way to understand the news of today is to understand it in light of the news from 2000 years ago. Fear not, the angel said, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Luke two ten, And what was the good news of great joy? It was about a seeming irrelevance. Another baby in a nothing town born to two nobodies. But the angel knew what the world now knows, that the seeming irrelevance was the revelation of something heaven crashing and earth shattering. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he writes, the Lion of Judah was ready to roar, even if at first it sounded strangely like a baby crying. (laughs) That's a great paradox. Yeah. Then he goes on and says this. The biggest news of 2021 is on inflation, Omicron, or Adele's new album. The biggest news is not Joe Biden, Joe Manchin, or Joe Rogan. The biggest news is not what Harry and Meghan said to Oprah or what happened at the Capitol on January 6th. The biggest news of this past year is that Jesus is still Lord. The tomb is still empty and Christ is still coming again. The snake crusher has arrived. Genesis 3, 15. The star of Jacob has shown, Numbers twenty four seventeen. The stump of Jesse has bloomed, Isaiah 11, 1. The son of righteousness has risen with healing in its wings, Malachi 4, 2. The one whom Simeon blessed and Anna longed to see can finally be seen. Born of a virgin in the armpit of the Roman Empire, The little child who's coming forth was from of old, from ancient days, as king of kings and our prince of peace. The world is not the same. The news is not the same. And Christians, by God's grace, are not the same either. Why? Because of essential Christian truths. Speaking of Jesus... Jesus is truly God and truly man and one person forever. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. That's why you don't pray to Mary. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no need to read. You know, why would you pray to Mary? She can help you. She can't do anything. Jesus laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice for his sheep. And in his death, Jesus propitiated. Big word, which means Satisfaction. And turned away the wrath of God by taking the punishment for the sins of his people. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. He ascended to heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah, he's seated at the right hand and he lives forever to make intercession for us. Uh, These are uh, essential Christian truths. And, And then, of course, we have salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. God chose a people for himself and his son before the foundation of the world. The son lived and died to atone for the sins of those whom God has chosen. The salvation that Christ accomplished by his death and resurrection is applied to his people by the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit regenerates those for whom Christ died, bringing them from death to life. All those who are born again by the Spirit of God come to trust in Christ and are united to him by faith alone. When a sinner is united to Christ by faith, he is justified, set apart, and adopted as a child of God. Everyone who is united to Christ will be glorified when he dies or when Christ comes again on the last day. That's an essential Christian truth. It's all in the Bible. Okay? It's important that we know that. And it's important that we know that because we have a growing number of people who like to call themselves not Christians. They certainly don't want to call themselves conservative Christians. They want to call themselves progressive Christians. And the the second point I want to make here tonight is that going beyond essential truths makes one a progressive. I, uh, over the break, came across... Uh, John Piper does a thing in his ministry where people email questions in. and So the question was, Dear Pastor John, thanks for your podcast. I have a colleague who would define himself as a progressive Christian. He believes homosexual practice is holy. And people engaged in such acts are qualified to be leaders in the church. He also believes the Old Testament is completely metaphorical and cannot be trusted in any historical way. I believe both beliefs fly against what the Bible teaches and teaches about itself. My question is this, and it's a good question. Can you contradict the Bible at these levels and still be considered a Christian? You probably know people that view themselves as Christian yet hold these kinds of things. Can you contradict the Bible at these levels and still be considered a Christian? I know it's impossible to have an infallible understanding of the whole Bible and that we will err in many ways. I know that I do, but also isn't there a line that cannot and must not be crossed? How progressively Christian can a real Christian get? Great question. And Piper replies this. He said, let's take the word progressive. You guys feel with me? Good. Okay. This is good stuff. Let's take the word progressive. The reason this word has come to refer to people and views that go beyond what has historically been considered true to the Bible is not because the idea of progress is bad in itself. All of us want to see progress towards truth and goodness and beauty. And the reason the word progressive has taken on the meaning it has is because it has come to imply a progress away from the truth and towards error. Progress away from biblical holiness towards immorality. And here's a really interesting and I think significant thing, namely that the idea of progressiveness is in the Bible. Even the word and the idea are in the Bible. I didn't know this until a few years ago when I was trying to do a careful translation of Second John, just a little book at you know towards the end, First John, Second John, Third John. So here's John two, uh, chapter one, verses seven to nine. I'll just read it. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Watch this. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Now the Greek behind goes on ahead. Proago, so you could translate it. Everyone who progresses, or you could say, to bring it right up to date, everyone who is progressive and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So here is the a uh, use of the word progress or going on ahead in the sense of leaving true teaching behind. In other words, a person can forsake the Christian faith not just by swerving to the right or to the left, but by going ahead, straight ahead and leaving behind the truth and grasping for things that are coming, things that do not fit with the faith once for all delivered to the saints, though they may fit the spirit of the age. That's Jude 3. So we have a yellow flag waving, Piper writes. I suppose I should say a red flag in the Bible. Beware, beware of those who get frustrated with abiding and standing firm in the word. You could stick in the word conserving, and then you've got the political polls. But let's just stay with the Bible words, abiding, standing firm in the teaching of Christ, holding fast old, sure truth. The alternative is that people get restless with the old and the firm and the true and they want change. And they want newness, especially change that fits the spirit of the times. Now, of course, lots of non-essential things need change from age to age and culture to culture. That's not the issue here. But lots of essential things do not need to change and must not change if we are to be faithful Christians. That's a good word. So I was telling Mary uh, the other day about watching Dallas Jenkins and this interaction and what he said. Our nine-year-old granddaughter was staying with us for the day. And she walked in and, uh, and she said, what were you saying, Papa? And I said, well, and I just gave her a little summary that this man was saying that there's a group of people that are called Mormons and that they believe in the same Jesus that Christians do. And and she kind of looked at me and I said, but the problem is they don't. And they they uh, they've been given wrong information about Jesus and who he is, and she'd just been in the Christmas you know play and the, right down the line quoting scripture, you know, and I, I said you know they say that Jesus is an angel, and she looked, I mean she's nine years old, and and she said but I said yeah but what. <laughs> She said, he's not an angel. I said, right, who is he? Well, he's God. That's right. Jesus is God. You see? That's an essential Christian truth. And you've got 40-year-old millennial Christians who want to be progressive and go beyond it. As well as others. Now let's zoom in to John 5. Because I gave you all that background. Because what Jesus is going to say in John 5. Is so incredibly relevant to where we are right now. It's so incredibly relevant. To the leaders who have put together this. Series that has been really well done on the life of Jesus called the chosen. But the problem is, they are telling the story, but they're not telling the doctrine. They're not telling what Jesus said about himself, at least not to the degree that they should be, or there would be no discussion, that They believe in the same Jesus that we believe. Let's pick it up in 18 of 5. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Um, I want to give you uh, five ways here that Jesus claims to be God in this passage. And they know he's claiming to be God. That's why they want to kill him. From this point on, the whole thrust of the Pharisees is to kill Jesus. Because there is absolutely no doubt what he is saying, what he is claiming. And to them it's utter blasphemy. I was working on these five things and I read a bunch of different commentators and I'm just gonna tell you the truth. I just took John MacArthur's outline because I couldn't improve on it. And I figured he spent 20 hours on it already. Why should I? It just I'm just being honest with you. So if you read later his commentary, he said, well, Farrar took that. Yeah, he did. I'm just letting you know right now. So here's, here's the five claims that Jesus made. Number one, Jesus is equal to God in his person. Jesus is equal to God in his person. So in 17 and 18, we've already looked at it, but he answered them saying, my father is working until now and I myself am working. And again, you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath, but God owns the Sabbath. God has the trademark on the Sabbath. God invented the Sabbath. God didn't rest on the seventh day because he was tired. God rested as an example to people who do get tired after working six days. So God keeps working on the Sabbath, and Jesus says, I myself am working. Why? Because I'm of the same essence, and I'm his son. And once again, you see how clear this was to them. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. He was not only breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. I mean, this was blasphemy. As you read the Scriptures, it's very clear there are no Sabbath restrictions on God. He owns it. Secondly, Jesus is equal to God in his works. Jesus is equal to God in his works. He's claiming to be God by his works. This would be verses 19 and 20. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, truly, truly, and and again, whenever you see that, truly, truly, you really want to catch it. I mean, this, this is a nugget coming your way. This is one. This is going to be on the midterm. This is going to be on the final. You remember those days? <laughs> and, and they'll tell you, this, this will be on the midterm, or some guy will raise his hand, or usually it's a girl. Will this be on the midterm? Yep. Okay. And the girls write it down, and the guys are over there thinking about the football game this weekend. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, get this. The son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, these things the son also does in like manner. He's talking about essence. He's talking about authority. He's talking about relationship. It's the three in one. John 12, 45 Jesus said, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. Because I'm God, as He is God. I mean, He was not. He was He was not dancing around this. He was proclaiming it. And it's the proclamation of of the entire Bible. It's the proclamation of the gospel of John. That's why when we started this study way back in the fall, the, the title I gave for the study that's on the website is the lion who roars. What, what's he roaring about? Is he's the lion of Judah who, as the young said that who, who cried as a baby in the manger. Yeah, but he's the lion of Judah. He's God. Number three, Here's here's a third claim that Jesus is God. Jesus is equal to God in his power and sovereignty. Jesus is equal to God in his power and sovereignty. Note chapter 5, verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. There you go. So we're all born physically alive but spiritually dead. And you read Ephesians 2 and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We have this idea in evangelical Christianity, we've been told it, that uh, any person at any time can be saved. That's not true. You know why it's not true? Because you're dead. You say, well, wait a minute, how does anybody ever come to Christ? Well, let's see what it says. Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we're born physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. We were under Satan's influence. He's the God of this world, and we were under his influence. According to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them... We too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Watch this. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans- transgressions, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ for grace. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. So in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what he does is, he invades our life. As, as we saw with Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. What do you mean born again? I enter into my mother's womb a second time? No. This is something internal. This is something that's invisible. It's like the wind. You can't see where it blows. This is something God does you're dead and your trespasses and sins and when he regenerates by the power of the Holy Spirit he raises you from the dead just as he did with Lazarus that's Christian life but we think everyone's walking around with free will and just whenever they want you know they can you know and if you sing enough choruses of just as I am you can beat them in submission you know we're going to sing this for the 73rd time I mean it's insane I had a church, how many years ago was this? 35 years ago? And they wanted me to come out and do a conference. And I said, sure. And the guy said, are you willing to give an invitation at the end of the service? Uh, uh, and I, I said, yeah, sure. And uh, he said, okay, because that's what we do here. I said, fine. So at the end of the service, I preached and I said, I, I gave a, you know, if any of you, have realized today that you have not ever called the name of the Lord. I just gave a very brief gospel presentation, maybe 90 seconds, summing it up. We're going to sing a hymn, and it's the custom here, if you'd like to come forward and talk with someone. And uh, I sat down. And then the pastor got up. And he pleaded. This is a Sunday night. And cajoled. And begged. I'm gonna say, I don't want to exaggerate it, it was at least 20 minutes. I was raised in a church like that. And then they were very upset with me afterwards. You said you'd give an invitation. I said I did give an invitation. Did I not? Did you not hear the invitation? Yeah, but but yeah, but not that's not what we meant. I said, Well, you should have you should have made it clear what you meant. But I gave an invitation. I didn't say this to the guy, but I said the difference is I believe only the Holy Spirit can draw him to Christ. You think that you can do it. And what you do is you wear him out. And a guy will just come forward because he's starving to death. And he needs to get some Oreos. I didn't say that. I'm thinking. I thought this is asinine. I mean, they were upset. They actually wrote to some other churches about me. Fine. No problem. Your issue is not with me. Your issue is with the Lord. Your issue is with Ephesians 2. We declare the gospel. Only Christ can bring them. Only the Spirit of God. Unless the Father draws, no one can come to the Father. But you know what? In his time, in his way, he draws. It's what he does. Jesus is equal to God in his power and sovereignty. And only God has the power to give life. You know what's interesting? John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. Life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then if you look at uh, John 1, Right out of the blocks. I mean, right out of the blocks. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. So, Jesus is equal to God in his power and sovereignty. He raises people from the dead later. uh, Spiritually dead people. He'll raise you from the dead and give you eternal life. Later, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's going to raise others from the dead. Oh, when he died, many came out of the tombs. You remember that? They just came walking right out of the tombs. He died, they came out of the tombs. Why? Because he's God. Read what's going to happen at the end of Revelation. Number four, Jesus is equal to God in his judgment. In his judgment, this is very interesting. In 522, it says this, For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. Genesis 18.25 says God is the judge of all the earth. But the scripture is very clear that all judgment has been given to the Son. That's just another indicator. Why would God, who is the judge of all the earth, give judgment to his Son? Because his Son is God. Who's going to judge on the last day? Jesus. And even in the context, look down at verse 25. Truly, truly, there's two resurrections. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. And just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. He will clear out, as Ray Steadman said, the cemeteries. He will empty the oceans. He will raise them all. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resident of judgment. He said, what is this, good works? Is he talking about good works? What do you mean, those who did the good deeds? Well, what are the good deeds? Well, in the context, and you always read the context, here's the explanation, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, and remember it's a truly, truly, so he really wants you to listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, watch, has eternal life. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. You don't have to enter into judgment. He's made a way of escape. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus is equal to God in honor. Therefore, he is God. If you look at 23 and then 24, which we just read. So that all will honor the son, even as they honor the father. He who does. This is fascinating. He who does not honor the son. Watch this. Does not honor the Father. Who sent him? Some people think they can give honor to God without honoring the Son, and you can't. You have to go through Christ. So, I was driving by a Mormon church today, and I pulled over because maybe you've seen some of these yard signs and banners that Mormon folks have with their Christmas lights. You can take a picture of that square little code thing and it'll take you to a website that explains the Mormon gospel. So I pulled over, took a picture, went to the website, and this is where um, I'm disappointed in Dallas Jenkins. All he's got to do is go to the website, and he'll find out they don't believe in the same Jesus that we believe in, and it's tragic because many of them think they know God, Many of them, you see, have been told that the Bible is corrupt. That's the whole message of Joseph Smith. That's the whole message of the, of, the, of the Mormon church is that the Bible is corrupt. It cannot be trusted. But you see, Joseph Smith had a vision and had an angelic visitation. By the way, there was another religious leader that had one of those. Who started the religion? That one's called Islam. One of the essential beliefs of Mormonism is, and I'll just do this quickly, but it's it's pretty critical. Is uh, uh, there are four? I'll give you just at least two. The first one is continuing revelation. In other words. God's revelation does not end with the Bible. The Bible's corrupt. It cannot be trusted. So there's the Book of Mormon. There's the Doctrines and Covenants. There's the Pearl of Great Price and the King James Version of the Bible. However, in Mormonism, divine revelation is not limited to these books, but also including the utterances of living prophets. See, what you've got to be careful of You've got to be careful of those who say the Bible is not sufficient. If you flip over to Galatians real quick, there is a warning given by Paul. I'm amazed that you are so quickly discerning him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are deserving you and want to, watch this, distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. We're not against Mormon people. We should love Mormon people because they have been deceived, they've been told the Bible cannot be trusted. They've also been told wrong things about Jesus and who he is. Um, One of the former leaders, Lorenzo Snow of the Mormon Church said this about God. By the way, Jesus is not God. Jesus started out as a man. He said, as man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may be. Do you know that there are millions of gods in Mormonism? And every time a Mormon couple has a baby, there's another God. It's not even close to what the Bible says. Um, I, I've had, in the re- recent years, interactions with some Mormon elders. They're, they're stand-up guys. They, they kept their word. I mean, it was impressive. It was impressive. I'll give them credit. But if you understand grace as God allowing you to do more good works so that you can get into heaven, that's not grace. That's not Bible grace. That's not Jesus grace. Don't you love the Word of God? how practical it is, how real it is. So when we talk with folks from any group and they wanna pull out their Jehovah's Witnesses and they wanna pull out Russell's stuff or Mary Baker Eddy's stuff or Joseph Smith's stuff, what you gotta do is you just keep going to the Bible. You just keep going to the Bible. i 'll never forget a friend of mine in seminary we wound up going down we were in Portland, Oregon, to portland state university it was It was crazy back then, even crazier now, but there was a dorm full uh, and there were some Christian girls that were in the church group that we were aware of, and there were a lot of Mormon girls in that dorm and they had Mormon missionaries coming in, and they asked Robert and I to come in and meet with the two Mormon missionaries. And we had this discussion in front of all these young college girls. And we talked for about two hours, and, you know, well meaning guys. And there was the senior guy, and then there was the rookie guy. And at a certain point, I knew the guy wanted to give his pitch, and he said, Can I just, you know, explain, take about 10 minutes? And then be happy to give you guys the opportunity. He said, Sure. So he gave his pitch. And his pitch at the end was, and you know, I, I had all these questions and I had all these, I just wasn't sure. And so what I did, I prayed and I asked God to show me if Christianity was true, if Mormonism was true. And he told me that Mormonism was true. I said, you know, that's remarkable. Because I prayed the same prayer. And God told me the Bible is true. And God told me that the gospel is that Jesus came. Jesus was God. He laid aside his privileges. He came and took on human flesh. He lived without sin. He went to the cross. He took my sin. He took your sin. He took it on him. The wrath of God that should have come upon us. He paid for it. He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day. And he has paid for all my sin. He paid it all. He's paid for my past sin. He's paid for my present sin. And he's he's paid already for the sin I have yet to commit. And the young guy. The rookie. Looked at me. And he couldn't believe it. He said, I wish that were true. I said, It's true, man. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We don't want to be progressive, we want to be grounded in your word. We want it to be in us, we want to be in submission to it. We still struggle with sin. But we thank you that Jesus is a great savior. We pray for those that we love. That have been deceived. We pray that in your goodness and graciousness. You might work in their lives to open their eyes and draw them to the truth of Jesus Christ in his gospel. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus, who is God. Amen.